0: Welcome. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Ed Stack is the chairman and CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods. He's just published a memoir. It's called It's How We Play the Game. Build a business, take a stand, make a difference. Hey, Ed, thanks so much for being here. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to test your mettle on your uh, product inventory knowledge. You ready? I can't wait. Are you nervous hearing that? Um no, I'm, I think I'll be able hopefully I'll do okay. All right. It's not about Under Armour, but God knows I've bought enough of that at, at my local Dick's. We there appreciate are two, it. Th- there are two games that you sell that are staples in my backyard, and I want to know if the Stack family plays Can Jam or Cornhole. Uh, we, we play more um, Cornhole than we do Can Jam. You do? But we,
1: li- we like them both, and I'm, not very, and I'm not very good at either one of them.
0: I got to say, all summer long, we had them just set up in the backyard and we got hours out of entertainment of each of them. And both of them I bought at Dick's. In fact, I went back and got a second version of Cornhole because we, we wanted to play it in a different location and we didn't want to cart the first one around.
1: Well, we appreciate that. If you need a third one, I'm sure we can help you out there too. No,
0: I'm done. I'm come on. Two and done. You got you got enough for me. So, um I here here's my deal. I was prepared to speed read the book and get right to the gun part because that's the headline and that's what you're now best known for. But I loved the stories. I loved hearing about the old man. I loved hearing about the expansion of the business. And I want to talk a little bit about that. First of all, in the book, you say, I can name every coach I've ever had. And when I read that line, I said to myself, hey, I can do likewise. Give me one of your coaches and share something about them.
1: So there was, uh, I'll go right back to the the first coach, my Little League coach, Mr. Carter and Mr. Carter. They were they were two brothers who coached little, little League up on each side of Binghamton and coached the team that I was on and they were they were just so great they were they, they were helpful they were supportive you know they loved the kids they were uh, they were terrific and I'll, I'll and every, always
0: remember them and every community has has men and women like that who really are the the, the the backbone right of of the town absolutely they're the backbone of the town they're the
1: backbone of the the, the youth sports programs and it's I think it's so important and I I kind of highlighted in the book, and I'm so happy that you uh, you read that and, and got that out of the book, that these sports programs are so important for the development of the kids.
0: You walk into any Dick's today, you're going to see a big print of Dick's Bait and Tackle. Tell me who's in that picture and what's going on. So you'll see two pictures. You'll see one of
1: the outside of the store and one of the inside of the store. So they're the both both the same store. On the right-hand side is my father at roughly an 18, 19-year-old kid who started the business with uh, $300 from his grandmother. And uh, the other person in the picture is uh, his older brother, my Uncle Ed. The
0: the grandmother story, the cookie jar tradition lives on at Dick's today. How so? It does.
1: And so the, the business was started with this uh, $300 out of the cookie jar that uh, my father's grandmother gave him to start the business. And as I talk about a little bit, it's uh, this is a depression-ridden family. I mean, they had virtually nothing. My father was shocked that she even had $300 to uh, help him start the business. And today we still, when somebody gets, to, uh, we've moved it to 20 years of experience, Have uh, been at Dick's Sporting Goods for 20 years, we give them a Dick Sporting Goods cookie jar with $300 in it.
0: <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Your, father, your father once said, or perhaps many times said, uh, if I had what I owe, I'd be a wealthy man. It was not a bed of roses.
1: It wasn't. It was difficult. He was the the business was always in debt. He was in debt trying to to manage his business. He was always owed the bank money for his line of credit to to finance his inventory. And uh, you know, back then he didn't have any systems in place. He just kind of ran it by the the seat of his pants and uh, and did a, a, a pretty good job doing it
0: guy comes in looking for golf clubs one day you are there to wait on him. your father wasn't sure you were up to the task but when the transaction was over what, what did he leave with wilson black leather golf clubs for 119 uh, bucks
1: wilson black heather golf clubs was uh the first sale i made they were 119 dollars and i was just walking over from the warehouse hauling some stuff over to put in the store and uh the guy i had talked with him uh, a couple of days before and my father went to wait on him, and he looked at my dad. He said, no, nah, I'd like to talk to that young man over there. And my <laughs> father was pretty surprised to see that the young man they were talking to was this 15-year-old skinny kid that was his son.
0: Your father passes, and you are uh, given baptismal by fire. In fact, there was a line in the book that I, I noted. You said, at 9 on the Tuesday after graduation, meaning your college graduation, quote, I opened the store. You didn't really have a choice, did you, Add.
1: I didn't. Um, you know, I had no plans to come back into the business. I had worked there as a kid, and uh, you know, quite frankly, I talked about that. I hated every minute of it. I didn't want anything to do with the business. And uh, my dad got very sick, and he lived a while uh, for a while after that, but uh, uh, he was sick. And uh, I was the oldest of five kids, and I had to come back into the the family business, these two little sporting goods stores, to help out. And we. You know, I graduated on Sunday, and I was at uh, the store on Tuesday, and the only reason I wasn't there on Monday is we used to be closed on Sundays and Mondays.
0: This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4.
1: So Ikea makes storage affordable.
0: Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. I I wondered as I was reading early on in It's How We Play the Game, which is Ed Stack's memoir, whether your father lived to see the success of what you built. And there's a story that you tell in the book. I think it was the Syracuse store that you were opening. And by now, dad is in Florida. Do you mind telling that?
1: Sure, we were opening a store. It uh, um, it was up in Rochester uh, uh, and uh, Rochester, Buffalo, and I'm not sure which it was. But um, he was uh, my dad was this Depression kid, and I talk about through the book. He was always afraid of going broke. He always afraid that that the business was going to go out of business because at one time it did. And he was down in Florida, and we were going to open up this new store. And I said, "Geez, I'd love to have you come up to to see the grand opening." And he said, nah, you know, those plane tickets are expensive and uh, hotel rooms. And I said, why don't the two of you come up? You know, the company will pay for it. And he said, I'd love to. Uh, and, uh, kinda, he didn't, and so he came up. And it was really, as I talk about in the book, it was a Norman Rockwell moment. This, it, was early, it, it was in March. It was a little snow going on. And he had never seen his name in big lights like that before. And he was always a humble guy. He never forgot where he came from and uh, he saw his name in the big lights in the store and got a little bit emotional, and then we walked into the store, and he'd never seen a store, that, the kind of the new store we did. We had the golf range right in the front of the store, and he got emotional, and I had to walk him into the golfing, golf range, close the door, and he cried like he was six years old. He was so humbled that uh, that the business he started in that little bait-and-tackle shop had gotten to where it was. It was and a, was not and was, was not a, a
0: guy who was offering who was always offering praise right i mean your dad was a buttoned up kind of a guy it seems to me from reading the book yeah he was definitely you know an old
1: school guy um he wasn't uh, he wasn't this warm guy who kind of told everybody that uh, he didn't he didn't he didn't let anybody know how he was feeling about anything he was not uh, he was not an emotional warm guy about uh, about a lot of things
0: So what was begun as Dick's Bait and Tackle today has how many locations? We've got uh,
1: about 730 Dick stores. We've got uh, about 100 Golf Galaxy stores and uh, about uh, now 30 of the Field and Stream locations.
0: And how are you able to do that in an age where malls have closed and everybody seems to be online?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of online, there's clearly a lot of online business and what a lot of people don't understand about our business is that our first online sale was in 1999. So we were one of the first ones to, to, to jump online. We've developed a very robust online business, and we've got a great brick-and-mortar business. And in order to survive today, you've got to make sure that you have you have an experience for the consumer to come in and, uh, and help them make the right decision of what they need. So our golf area, you can come in in our golf area with the uh, The uh, technology, we can determine your club speed, ball speed, uh, spin angle. We can dial in the exact golf club for you. We did the same thing in about 170 stores for baseball today with a technology called Hit Tracks, um, where a young man or young woman can come in and we can fit the exact bat for them depending on their ball speed, angle of attack, uh, uh, bat speed. All of these things from a technology standpoint that we can do in the store that you just can't do online.
0: Yeah, or if you need to make an impulse buy of can jam or cornhole, Dix is where you go for it, in my case. Absolutely, and we appreciate all of that. So the events of 9-11 occur, they impact you deeply, how so? Well, 9-11 was, uh, was one of those
1: defining moments in the business. It uh, it was, uh, I had never wanted to take the company public. We were always a private company, we loved being a private company, and uh but then 9-11 happened, and we were our business was doing well. We were growing. We were self-funding. But I was really concerned that uh, after those terrorist attacks, if they continued and we had a real economic slowdown, our business might not be able to survive. We didn't necessarily have the balance sheet to uh, to weather through that, and uh, we decided it was best to try to take the company public. And uh, the only reason we're public is because of
0: 9-11. And, and what starts to occur in the last 20 years, all of these mass shootings, you're an American, you're a family guy, they impacted you as well, and you wanted to do something about them. I I guess people don't realize that your recent move was not your first move relative to guns.
1: No, it wasn't. 9-11 played an important role in that, too. Um, And uh, there was, uh, at the time, my my wife called me, I was traveling, I was up in Saginaw, Michigan on 9-11, and called and said... Um you know uh, she was with a neighbor said we're going down to the to the store the Dick store and we're going to buy a shotgun and some bullets and we're going to the uh the, going to school to pick up the kids and I said you, you can't do that you can't buy a gun you've never shot a gun you've never loaded a gun and by the way bullets don't go in a shotgun shot shells go in a uh, in a shotgun you can't go buy a gun and when i got off the phone she was pretty adamant that she was going to do that And when I got off the phone, I called back and said, we need to suspend the sales of all guns for the next several days. I think it was four or five days because I was concerned so many people were going to go buy a gun because they were scared. They were going to go buy a gun and they were going to hurt themselves, hurt somebody in their family. They didn't know how to use it. So that was was one of the first moves we made from a gun standpoint.
0: In April of last year, Dick Sporting Goods, one of the nation's largest firearm sellers in the United States, said it planned to destroy the military-style rifles. It had agreed to take off its shelves weeks after the shooting. I'm reading from today's New York Times. You are quoted as saying, you know what, if we really think these things should be off the street, we need to destroy them. $5 million worth of weapons, you've now revealed, is what you destroyed.
1: That's correct. You know, it, we talked about this, and in our announcement, we we said that uh, we thought that 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 type of weapon should be banned, and it it was banned between 1994 and 2004, and the ban wasn't uh, extended. Um, and so we thought we said that we thought those guns should come off the shelf. We thought that uh, we wouldn't sell high capacity magazines any longer, and we wouldn't sell a gun to anyone under 21 years old. And as we talked about this, we could have either sent the guns back to the manufacturer. We could have done a number of other things with them, um, and we said if we really think these things should be off the street, then we should destroy them. Because if we just put them on sale and sold them, they're out on the street. If we sent them back to the manufacturer, they're out on the street. And we did call some law enforcement uh, uh, to donate them, and, and they didn't use that type of gun. They didn't. Uh, they didn't want they. they said, thank you, but no. And uh, we thought the only thing we could do to be true to what our, our uh, statement was, was to destroy those guns. And that's what we did.
0: What has been the loss to the company now that you've given up this, this line of sale?
1: Well, we thought that it, we, we indicated that we thought it would be about $250 million is what we'd give up. And that's not just from the sale of, of those guns or hunting uh, products. It was people who would be upset with us because they'd say, I, I, right? I'm not buying anything from you. I'm not shopping with you anymore. We thought it would be about $250 million, and that's just about what it came to, about uh, a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, we've re-engineered our business to, to uh, uh, offset that. We took all of Guns out of 10 stores uh, last year to see what would happen. Those stores outperformed the balance of the chain significantly. This spring, we took them out of another 125 stores. Some of the new stores that we opened, we didn't put Guns in. So we've got about 200 stores without uh, without hunting in it right now. And our business is very good. We just uh, had our uh, second quarter earnings released. Our comps were up over 3%. Our, our earnings were up, and uh, our business is in great shape right now.
0: I wonder if you've offset that loss from people who otherwise would not single out dicks, but they respect what you've done, and they've said, I'm going to give them some play instead of going to a competitor.
1: We've had a number of people who have come into the store And have said that and and now shop with us based on what we've done. We've had a number of people who've sent us emails and letters about that. So that has definitely helped offset some of the issues with the people who are upset with us.
0: Ed, one one last area, because we're not giving it all away for free. And thank you for being so gracious with your time. There's a story that you tell in the book about golfing with uh, Speaker Boehner. Yep. And you have an exchange with him and you say, hey, John, what's going to happen on gun reform? And, and he says to you, nothing. And you were kind of taken aback on that. Given one of the recent mass shootings, you thought for sure something would be done. And you offer in the book, quote, Boehner was a Republican, but so was I at the time. <clears throat> if you ever circled back to that and offered more of a, uh, an explanation, then it got past me. But I was curious T- talk to me about your own political transformation.
1: Well, I think that, uh, so I, I'm, I'm an independent now, uh, Good. And, and I think that the, uh, you know, the country is so divided on so many issues right now, um, uh, the two parties continue to bicker back and forth. I don't really think there's much, and a lot of people would agree, I don't think there's a lot of leadership coming out of Washington, and uh, I, I'm an independent now, I've, uh, and, and I suspect I will stay an independent.
0: I really appreciate your being here. Thanks so much, and best of luck with the book. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. It's How We Play the Game is the title of Ed Stack's uh, book. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirkanish program. Weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app.
1: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.